Well, this is a very special weekend for us. As many of you know, we are celebrating and expressing our gratitude to John and Phyllis for their 23 years of leadership of Crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Crossroads started when God put a vision for a different kind of church in Northern Colorado. He put it in the minds and the hearts of John and Phyllis. And uh, from the moment that uh, Crossroads had their very first service, there's been one singular message, one theme of their lives that they've lived out, that they've demonstrated, that they've pressed in, that they've pressed in it, that's become a part of the DNA of Crossroads. And John says this every single Christmas. And this is the message. God loves you. God loves you. And that's what they've lived, and that's what we try to live into. And I'm going to invite a group of Crossroads leaders up to join me right now as we, we're going to talk a little bit about the influence that John and Phyllis have had on our lives, on our church, and uh, here they come. So let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. So this is a group of people that's uh, been in Crossroads a while, and so I'm going to just let them introduce themselves. So Linda, you start, and we'll just go down the row. Um, my name is Linda Hewitt, and I was a youth minister with John when he, before he came here and when he came here, and I've been here for 23 years since it started. My name is Tomas Quinones. I'm pastor of Pacto de Amor Church, Spanish ministry. I hit a crossroads, and I was not born 23 years ago yet. <laughs> my name is Carolina Quinones, and I'm one of the pastors of Pacto de Amor Church, which is the Spanish ministry of Crossroads. Hi, I'm Danny Robbins, and I was part of the founding of Crossroads Church and charter member, been involved from the beginning. I'm Jennifer Wilson, and we've been here a really long time, not quite that long, and I've helped in children's ministry and women's ministry and different things around the church. Uh, Scott Wilson, uh, married to Jennifer, we've been here for 22 years, um, and our family just loves it, and we feel very blessed to serve in a lot of different areas over time. My name is Aisha Thomas. My husband and I have been attending for 12 years, uh, served in a variety of roles, and I currently serve as the church council chair. Great. Well, uh, 23 years ago, uh, Linda, you were part of the original group, and uh, one of the very specific things was you got involved right away. Why? What was there about John and Phyllis's leadership that you said, I'm getting on board with this thing? Um, I, I got to know John and Phyllis the most on mission trips. And that was the crazy fun time for all of us. But forever on mission trips, whether it be in the church or with kids or with adults, John and Phyllis always had such a welcoming um, part of them that they wanted everyone to be involved. They, they were comfortable with people. Anybody at any part of their life was always welcome at their church to be a part of Crossroads, to come and know that they would be loved, that they would be introduced to a loving God um, who meets them right where they're at. And I wanted to be a part of something that just says, come, feel God's love, and be who you are. One of the things John and Phyllis have always said about us is to be inviting machines, invite people. You are an inviting machine. <laughs> I, I, Christmas, she's got a whole row or two or section or bleacher section <laughs> off for people you've invited. Um, why, why is that for you? Why well, do you love to invite people here and how many people have you invited over the years? I'd say well into the hundreds. Um, I, I absolutely love it here first. I love it here. Um, 
And I feel like the most, one of the most intimate things I can share with my friends, my family, is um, coming to church and singing together and praying together and worshiping God. It's both humbling and um, wonderful at the exact same time. And I always want to have my friends experience this at Crossroads. I want them to experience John and Phyllis. Um, I love when John teaches and I, and I bring them and say, you're going to learn something today and you're going to be touched and you're going to be introduced to Jesus. And my friends and I come and they have never ever walked away not feeling loved, without feeling accepted, without feeling um, that they can be who they are. So for me, it's inviting people to share in that relationship and knowing that it's a place where Anytime you come, anybody you run into, you're going to feel welcome and accepted. And for me, that's just been an amazing thing, and I've never been let down. And I don't believe any of my friends have either, so that's a cool thing. Great. Tomas, you uh, came to church here one day and met John and Phyllis in the atrium. What happened? Yeah, in 2011, we came. Um, it was snowing that Sunday, and then um, after the serv- service, Pastor John met us in the atrium, and uh, he came up and said, hi, is this your first time here? And uh, I said, yes. Uh, my wife was changing our, our youngest son in the bathroom, and um, um, he said, um, after he asked us if, uh, if, if this was our first time, we said yes, and, but we told him we were pastors uh, of a Spanish church in town. So at that moment, that, uh, that uh, special uh, time, he said, uh, why don't you come with us and meet here? Uh, Carolina came out of the uh, restroom, and I told Pastor John, uh, can you repeat what you just asked me so I can have a witness? And Carolina <laughs> was there. Um, yes, that, um, that was a Sunday that we came. We were taking a sabbatical month of, um, as pastors. We were pastoring for seven years already, so we were taking a break. And when we came in, we felt so much God's presence in this place. And we felt that God was really speaking to us in this church. But when we came out, as Tomas was saying, he was talking to Pastor John. And I was coming out of the bathroom, and he waves at me, like, come, come. I'm like, he's talking to the senior pastor. What am I going to do? And then he's like, come. And and he tells me in front of him, "Uh, can you tell him what you always tell me? And I'm like, what am I going to tell him? Um, I have been praying for seven years. Every time I drove by to go to Fort Collins to my job, that one day Pack to the Moor would be here. But I didn't want to say, hey, my, I've been praying that my church is going to be at your church. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> so I was like, well, no, I've been wanting to be in this place for a long time. I've heard such good things about Crossroads, which, which was really true. And, and i always been wanting to come. And he says, well, why don't you come and pastor here? We've always wanted to be an ethnically diverse church. Um, talk about how you've experienced that here. I think one of the things that I loved from Pastor John and Phyllis is just their humbleness and kindness. That's something that they showed us for sure. And not only them, but the whole church. So I could tell that that DNA was transferred to the church. And we always felt that um, culture of acceptance here. And um, we are so grateful for that. And we want to continue to live into that, to be a church that involves all people, different races, all kinds of people. Tomas, as we move forward, what would you, kind of guidance would you give us? 
um, I want to thank Pastor John and Pastor Phyllis for living that way uh, for these 23 years and apologetically loving uh, your neighbor. And, uh, and my advice for Crossroads is just do not be afraid to love your neighbor. Uh, it could be a, diff- a person, look different, or come from a different background, but do not fear that. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So just go for it. Denny, uh, you've, you've been here from the beginning, before the beginning, actually. Before well, the beginning. Not the beginning of the earth, but, you know, before the beginning. <laughs> um, at pivotal moments, John and Phyllis have intersected your lives. Talk about some of those moments. Yeah, there's a changes that happen in, in certain times you're letting you make decisions. And uh, in the beginning, John and Phyllis led a class called Raising Capable Children. We have four kids, and um, we thought we needed a little guidance on how to run that operation. <laughs> so we did a book study with John and Phyllis, and we got, really got to know him at that point. And that was a change, and we practiced those principles throughout the kids' upbringing and they all sit around and tell stories today about um, the Saturday box and the kitchen being closed and things like that. But then the next thing was when John felt led to start the church, um, we wanted in. Debbie had a passion for doing Sunday school and, and wanted, wanted that to be a strong part of the church. She became a Sunday school teacher and a coordinator. I did set up and I came to the realization that I was married to a Sunday school teacher. So, and after that, uh, we got involved in small groups and things. And as time went on, I started having um, a lack of alcohol management. That's a nice way of saying that I was losing control and I was becoming an alcoholic. And through the strength of the small groups that Debbie participated in, uh, she got a hold of John, and they made an arrangement for Dennis and Debbie to meet with me. And, and I wasn't living at home at this time. And uh, this was going to be some things I needed to do to be able to move back into the house. And I agreed. I came in with the idea that I would just tell everybody, yeah, sure, fine, and that would be the end of it. And, but Dennis had a way of kind of making a stick. And, and it took me about a week to make a decision that I was going to quit drinking. And I didn't know how I was going to cope with my life without the crutch of alcohol. I told Debbie, I'll do this, I'll quit drinking, and I will be miserable the rest of my life and all alone, which is a lie. Um, First thing that happened as I got sober, I started chairing an AA group, and I just took to recovery. I started enjoying the people and being around that. And... That was another big change in life. And then I got a phone call. John called and said, hey, why don't we get together and have a cup of coffee? And I said, okay. And so we sat down and had a cup of coffee, and John said, hey, I, I went out to Saddleback Church, and there's this thing called Celebrate Recovery, and it's a ministry. And they're here. And uh, so you guys kind of messed up my train of thought. So, <laughs> So, so anyways, um, John, uh, John said he's really passionate about it. And I said, well, that's great, John. And that, that'll be a nice thing for Crossroads Church. And John goes, well, yeah, here's the thing. I want you to start it and lead it. 
And I was like, well, I'm not qualified. And John goes, oh, yeah, you're qualified. You own your own business. And uh, I'm like, okay. And I, I kind of hesitated, and I thought about it a second. And for some reason, I just said, thank you. And I'll do it. And uh, off we went. And uh, it became a passion. It uh, became the focal point of my recovery. I was a rookie when we a rookie in recovery when we started. Um, we've done, brought hundreds of peoples to 12 steps. I probably missed five Fridays in 10 years. And uh, it's been a, been a blessing in my life. The relationships that came out is unbelievable. I have a relationship with my kids today that I never thought I'd have. And I just want to say, by the way, Phyllis was their fifth grade teacher. So um, they've always been involved in our lives, and they've always been with us. Thank you. Thanks, Denny. <laughs> Jennifer, particularly your relationship with Phyllis has been a close and important to you. Talk about that. Yeah, really important. I taught with Phyllis forever at Namaqua, and we were friends first there. And Phyllis is a other people first kind of person, and I actually benefited from that. She invited Scott and I to come to church, and it's kind of our family joke that you know, I'm like, oh, my friend Phyllis is starting this church. We should go be supportive. And we were just helping them out. And we never left. And we felt like John was speaking to us every single week. Um, but she's just left her mark on this church in lots of different ways. Early on, she and John were the worship team up here. And um, she helped with children's ministry. And then we served together in uh, women's ministry. And um, she just cares for people. She's an inviting machine, like Linda was referring to. And um, I benefited from that, but she also just knew that people coming here would be welcomed and cared for. And most recently, she's been involved with Stephen Ministry, and that kind of speaks to that same passion for people. Um, and then I, I like to say she impacts all of us because for all those years, she was the chief editor of all of John's sermons. And so uh, when John brought his best to us, we have Phyllis to thank for that. Awesome. <laughs> And Scott, one of the things that's always been on your heart, you, you are a love does person, love does stuff. And uh, a number of years ago when Katrina hit, um, you got involved with that. Tell us where that has led. So um, really from the first time we came to Crossroads 22 years ago, it was really many hands make light work and everybody needs to jump in and, and whether it was setting up the chairs or um, so that really kind of started the service um, for us. Um, I was fortunate to be on the church council um, for a number of years. That was on the, the church council after Hurricane Katrina. And I remember so vividly, you know, that devastation and all of us praying at the table and um, what are we going to do and um, kind of birth, hey, we need to go do something. Um, and so our first mission trip to Hurricane Katrina, I know we did several of them, but our first one, we had 88 people from our church um, that came and it was just, a, for me, it was a life-changing experience um, just to be amidst and so much you know, greater to serve um, than to be served and make a difference and be the hands and feet of God. And um, so that was really the kind of how it started. And I remember you and I in Bay St. Louis walking and praying um, one night on a, on a dirty road. Um, and we were like, hey, we need to help 
all, the, all of our members of, of Crossroads get to experience this. Um, and that was really how Project One started. It was, hey, everybody, not everybody can fly across the country or drive across the country and take a week off, but everybody can give a day um, and serve our community. And our community has a whole lot of, a whole lot of needs. So, so that was really how it started. I remember going to John and saying, hey, I got this um, idea. Um, I think we can have 500 people from our church um, serve one day. And of course, John is like, yeah, that sounds great. We should do that. Um, and I'm like the most unhandy person with my Fisher Price toolkit. Um, and, and I'm not very good at planning and organizing. And I'm like, we got this good idea and God blessed it. And it's just been a, a wonderful ride for us. And the time. first year was, this was your vision. Yeah, we had 500 people and um, over 550 projects. And 13 years later, it's, um, it's been super fun. Yeah, wow, what, what an impact that's had. An idea, walking along a street one night that God put in your heart, and here we are. Eight, we've done 820 projects since Project One started in our community. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've been a leader through some challenging times. Scott, you've been a leader through some challenging times here at Crossroads. What have you learned about servant leadership? I think it's just to be the hands and feet of Christ. I mean, I think that for me, it's helped me grow. I mean, I mean, I'm a selfish person um, and it's helped me to not be as selfish. And um, I think that's really what I've learned the most. And that's what I've so much appreciated about our church over all these years is, you know, seeing a need um, and then let's go do something about it. Let's just not sit back and wait for somebody else. Let's jump in, whether it's celebrate recovery or, um, you know, pocket and more, wherever it is, let's jump in and, and make a difference. And that's been very fun. Great. Thanks, Scott. Aisha, you have and your family have been here for 12, 12 years. years. And uh, initially you weren't like jumped in and then later you go, let's, let's go do this. What yes. happened? Well, um, you know, Mike Perez invited us here. And I remember the very first time that we came, we were sitting over there and I just, I just had this feeling like this is it. This is where we're supposed to be. And then we just kept coming. And um, fast forward about two and a half years ago, uh, Pastor John was speaking and teaching and he was saying, you know, let God use you. And he was talking specifically around social justice and compassion. And it really resonated in me. It um, connected uh, a, a passion and a desire I have um, in the other aspects of my life. And um, I felt like at that point it was it was connecting and, and helping me to be a whole Christian and not just a Sunday Christian. And um, one of the things that I started praying from that day forward, every single day was God use me. God use me. God use me. And wow, he's taken me on a journey. And I really feel um, that the courage of our lead pastor to be able to stand on the stage and talk about um, significant issues in our present day um, has inspired me to become um, a more involved um, citizen and more aware um, and um, really see people through Jesus' eyes and, and pass on that love and compassion for everyone. At our last uh, congregational update meeting, uh, you talked about one of the qualities that our new lead pastor really needs to have. What was that? And expand on that a bit. 
I want our new lead pastor to embody the legacy that the Smiths have, and I want uh, this church to continue to be a welcoming church for all, and all means all. And um, I want there to be the recognition um, of what's happened for the last 23 years leading into today. I remember having a conversation with Phyllis years ago out in the atrium, and she was talking about the things that they used to do to set up the church. Um, And she said, you know, it's time for the next generation to put their touch on the place. And I really loved that because it's so easy to start something and then hold tight and try to control and not let go. And instead, they had this theory of the more people that we can bring into our church and closer to Jesus, um, the more um, people will will step in and want to be a part of this place. And um, I just found that very encouraging and inspiring. And I was humbled by it, actually. I thought it was a a wonderful leadership trait. Um, So I, I want this place to continue to have that welcoming atmosphere where every single person who comes in, even the most unbelieving of hearts, will feel like this place is home for them. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So one final question. Everybody gets a shot at this one. What is your hope or dream for Crossroads as we move on and into the future? Well, I'm going to back up just a minute, and um, I'm going to tell you that when we first started meeting about the church, we were in John and Phyllis's living room, and we were talking about what our vision was, and everything that would need to come together. And it occurred to us we needed to have a name and a name that reflected who we were. And when we started talking about that name, we were like, what do we do that, that what, what do we name our church that's going to welcome people, that feels welcoming, that feels like a, a good place to come? And we started talking about how we want people from every crossroad, every road in their life to feel welcome here, where no matter what road they're walking on, they have an encounter with the living God. And that that encounter just kind of crosses over. And so eventually out of that conversation came the word crossroads, that we want everybody, no matter where they're at, um, to be welcome here. So in for me, I want that to continue, that conversation in that living room where no matter what road, what road you're walking on, that you can come into this place and know you're going to have an encounter with a loving, living, forgiving God. Um. 23 years ago, I came as an exchange student, uh, graduated, graduated from Loveland High. Um, but God, at that time, called me into ministry. And uh, at that time, I did not see the, the need for a Spanish ministry because there were not many Spanish-speaking um, families in Loveland. But 23 years after that, I can see that God planted that seed in me. And our vision for Crossroads is to uh, keep that vision, what's going to look like Crossroads in 23 years um, from now on. And um, I know we're going to have more people coming seeking God, coming seeking uh, refuge. And um, our vision is to, for Crossroads to be open and have that loving heart to love your neighbor like, your, like yourself. Uh, I see a church that will continue to grow as, as it has been growing. Um, not only numbers, but um, just from the inside out, people that get to grow, to serve, like we have talked about it, to help each other, to accept many people from different races, no, ma- no matter what color they are or what language they speak. Um, I see a mul- multicultural church. I'd like to see Crossroads continue to be a place of healing where people can come and bring their hurts, habits, and hang-ups and through a relationship with Christ, change their lives. 
Well, my hope for this church is standing room only. I want every single seat taken because every single seat is a heart. And I really do want um, every person that's in this room to feel the way that I feel about this church and feel like it's home. So John gave a sermon, it's been a number of years ago, and he said, hey, what does a thriving church really look like? What does it look like in our community? And he said, hey, a third of the people are going to be really far from God. Um, but they're going to feel welcome when they walk in here. Um, a third are going to be new believers. They're going to be on fire. They've just um, got to know Jesus. And then a third spiritually mature. Um, and my hope is that we would continue to have that, a third, a third, a third, um, and reach all of our friends and neighbors that, that need to know Christ. Ditto all that. I have that same dream too, but also just for this place to be a relevant and thriving beacon of hope and light in our community where people can come and know that Jesus loves them. Yeah, thank you. You know, it takes a lot, yeah, it takes a lot of loving courage and a lot of courageous loving to lead a church like this and develop and grow a church like this. And y'all have been a part of it. I'm so grateful. We're grateful. John and Phyllis, we're thankful for your leadership. What, what an influence you've had. So let's thank this group of people and we'll move on. Good morning on time change morning even. It is a good morning. So good to see everyone here. And if you're joining us online, good to see you also. My name is Katie. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is a special weekend of celebration for the mission of our church and for the legacy of John and, and, and Phyllis Smith. And uh, as was alluded to in the testimonies that we just heard from our leaders one of the ways that we have lived into this value and passion that we have for life change and transformation is through the teaching ministry of Crossroads. And we all know that Pastor John Smith is a master teacher. He's extraordinarily gifted. He has set the standard here. He has raised up and influenced others of us to be a part of that. And, and one of the things I remember him saying is every time we come into the room to worship, someone will stand up in front of all of us and we'll open the Bible because the teachings of Jesus and the word of God is so life transforming. And so we thought it only fitting that we do that for a few minutes this morning. And that's what I'm going to do. I have to say that Phyllis did not edit this talk. And so the screening of jokes was not able to happen. But I would also say I don't have any jokes. And so we are safe. Laugh now or forever hold your peace. Because I'm about to open up the book of Matthew. <laughs> um, we're in this series called Passages. So we're working our way through the gospel of Matthew and looking at Jesus' most important teachings. And I'd say if someone were to read the book of Matthew without knowing about the life of Jesus or the things he had to say, they would be very surprised over and over again. We lose that surprise because we know the story. But to get the flavor of surprise, would you imagine with me for just a moment that we are going to a sold-out rock concert together at Red Rocks. It's the middle of the summer. It's July. We're there early in the day. Can you see it? 
All right, now it's sundown, and the band should have already come out, so the crowd is restless. We know what this thing's going to be like. It's stadium rock. It's going to be driven by bass and drums exploding with familiar guitar riffs. We know all the lyrics. We're going to be on our feet the whole time. We'll have lost our voice by the end of the evening. And finally, the band manager comes on stage and announces that the front man has just arrived the house, and we are all on our feet cheering to welcome this most celebrated rock star of our time. But as we stand there cheering, the droning bass and synth that have been amping up the crowd just kind of fades away. And the lights go down, and a very small figure walks on stage. It's not at all what we expected. He doesn't have his guitar around his neck. He's not ready to amp the band into overdrive. Instead, he raises a small flute to his lips. And he starts to play a tune that's very different from what we expected. But we listen. And as we listen, we start to hear some familiar themes of the music coming through this unusual tune. And then it reaches its close. And the band responds with an altogether different version of the opening song we'd expected. Now shift your imagine from Red Rocks to the crowds in Jesus' day. They were expecting a revolutionary leader who would sweep in, in a great explosion, and a blaze of light and color, and transform life in a single blow. And instead, we get Jesus. We get Jesus as a baby with a price on his head. We get Jesus in a muddy river, standing, standing in front of Cousin John, asking to be baptized, and acting, appearing to be repenting alongside the rest of the crowd. We get Jesus telling the devil to bug off because Jesus would rather starve or fall or fail than misuse power. And in Matthew 5, we get Jesus opening his very first sermon in front of hundreds, probably thousands. And it's very surprising opening with a special welcome to ragamuffins and underdogs. Just imagine that hillside crowded with people, and it's a mixed crowd. At least a third of the people, probably toward the front, are the poorest of the poor, and I really mean poor. Homeless, unemployed, starving, hungry. There would be children, orphans, maybe with their teenage siblings caring for them. People with terminal illnesses, people with physical infirmities, Women, slaves, the mentally ill. Can you see this group? And there's another group in the crowd, the middle class. They have jobs and homes and reasonable health, but they have a lot of spiritual and emotional anxiety. They struggle with denial. And then in the back are the more successful of the community, people without financial problems, people with good businesses and salaries, and then finally, there are some box seats, or the club section, if you will, and it's filled with the religious elite. And they are satisfied with their seats. They're satisfied with themselves. They're only attending to get information that they could use to maintain the status quo. And then Jesus begins the sermon with a special welcome to the poor and the suffering by saying, blessed are you. I identify with you. I identify with your lower status. I identify with your hunger. Welcome, welcome, and there's something here for you. 
And after he surprises the crowd with that kind of opening, he begins the sermon in earnest. He lifts his head, full voice projects to the back of the crowd and says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of one letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the familiar salt and light passage. It introduces the main theme that Jesus will follow through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that he has come to fulfill the law and the teachings of the prophets, and then the rest of the sermon will explain exactly what he means by that. And it will conclude with that famous summary, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, because this is what the law and the prophets are really about. The salt and light passage is a gateway to all that will follow. The theme is clear. Jesus is calling the people of his day to act like God's people. God's called Israel to be the salt of the earth, but Israel was behaving like the rest of the earth. Power politics, factions, toxic emotions, revolutions, and hostile takeovers. How could God keep the world from going bad if the people of God have lost their good taste and lost their ability to preserve the goodness that God had built into the universe in the beginning. Same way God called Israel to be the light of the world. God's people were to shine God's light into the world's darkest corners and not just to expose evil, but to provide guidance and light to help people find their way. But what if the light bearers become part of the darkness? That was Jesus' warning. Jerusalem on a hill was to be a beacon of hope to the world. And his followers were to be like that. If only they would follow God's ways from their hearts. From their hearts. Then that would be the sign to everyone. That their God is God. Worthy of all worship. The king of our hearts. And we can imagine people saying to themselves, this is good teaching, but we've already got a lot of Bible teaching. What's different about this? And Jesus answered clearly. The traditional teaching does teach a way of faithfulness to God, teaches a way of aligning our lives with scripture. But the kingdom of heaven is now breaking in. And anyone who wants to be a part of this new thing will have to learn new ways of life that go far beyond what the traditional teaching had prepared them to do.
Jesus wasn't intending to throw any of it out. All God's promises would come to pass. But now that he was really here, a new way was opening up for everyone within the sound of his voice to experience whole life transformation. And it was revolutionary. And at the same time, it was quite in tune with everything that the stories and the promises of the Old Testament had been communicating all along. And Jesus personally led the way. He was the salt of the earth. Jesus was the light of the world. He was a beacon set upon a hill, crucified up high for all the world to see that there was hope and new life. And he drew new people to worship God. And he's shown us the way of love, which is the true fulfillment of everything the prophets taught and all of God's commands. All Jesus' originally, uh, his original sayings, they applied to the nation of Israel, but now they apply to everyone who follows Jesus. They apply to all of us who draw on his life as the source of our own And how does this challenge affect us today? Well, we ask the question, where does the world need salt? Where does the world need light? And then we provide that as Jesus followers. And that's a subject that we are exploring through this whole voyage through Matthew, leading up to Easter to prepare our hearts. Well, John and Phyllis... It seems that you were in Sunday school the day they taught salt and light. (laughs) Because your lives are a living legacy to this important teaching of Jesus. And I'm sure that you feel like you have a lot of learning and growing still to do. And we thank you for being such a shining example to all of our church and to those that we serve And if anyone would ask me, what does it look like for an ordinary person to be salt and light, I would say, well, do you know the Smith family? Do you know the church crossroads that they birthed and led and loved? Well, picture that. Picture that. And if they know you, and if they know us, they would say, oh, yes, I can see it now. Thank you.
Well, I think we give John a moment, right? You can be seated. It'll only be a moment, uh, I assure you. But I'll tell you, leading Crossroads the last 23 years has been the adventure of my life. And stepping down from a 23-year gig has not been easy. It is not uh, since January when this happened. Uh, And there's been a lot of adjustments. In fact, Dennis Anderson called me the other day. It was 10 in the morning. First thing he asked me, did I wake you up? (laughs) Been a lot of adjustments, it has. But on that first Sunday, that first Sunday 23 years ago, January 7th, 1996, Phyllis and I, we drove from our house over to Mary Blair Elementary School on 29th Street here in Loveland. Linda Hewitt, who was up here, was a teacher at that school at that time. And she arranged for, uh, through the principal, for our little new church to start meeting there on Sundays. And there was a handful of, of us that got together there on Saturday before, and we set up a little stage, we set up chairs, Uh, Rachel, my daughter, was there with her then-boyfriend, Bill, and my daughter, Jess, was there. Denny and Debbie Robbins were there. Greg and Sherry Pyburn, Don Melinda Russell, Tom Renita Bozinger, Linda was there, of course, and Jim Lees, and we set it all up. And then on Sunday, that first Sunday, we gathered together in the teacher's lounge over there, and we got in a little circle, and we prayed, and none of us prayed that one day we would have 73 acres of land and a beautiful facility like this, or that over 3,000 people would call Crossroads their church. But we did pray that, that God would do in us and through us what God had done in the very first church, which is found in Acts chapter 2, and that was that God would form a community in us that was fully devoted to him and that we would love people in radical ways and we would reach out to our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers and winsome in natural ways and we would have the faith to pray bold prayers and we would give up of our resources sacrificially to help the poor and the marginalized in the world and that we would worship in freedom and in doing so, God would not only transform our lives, but our community. And, and maybe we thought, maybe even, maybe even our region, and maybe, maybe we'd have an, even an impact on the world somehow. And that was 23 years ago when we prayed those prayers. And we thought if God would do that in this little perfect, this group of imperfect people, we'd be delirious. And we finished that short prayer time. Uh, just a few minutes, and we went out into that gymnasium of Mary Blair, and people started trickling in. Ron and Deanne Hewitt, they came in. Scott, Jennifer Wilson, Gib, Judy, Quadhammer, Glenn Gilbert, who is still here, all these people right right from the very beginning. And I put on my guitar, and, and Phyllis and Jess and I went up on the stage, and we led worship in that first service. That was 1,000... 206 weekends ago. And here we are, 1,206 weekends later. 
and we're, we're still together and we're kind of living out. We're kind of living out that dream. And I'll tell you, uh, I love Crossroads, but I love Crossroads more than you know. When I drove over to the campus today, I said, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do what I've done for the past 23 years. There isn't anything I would have rather done with my life for the past 23 years. And with all of you, and with our incredible staff and our council and, and working with my daughter, Jessica, all these years, and that Jess and Mike and their kids uh, are all part of the church and Rachel and Bill, that boyfriend is now her husband and, and their, their kids are all part of the church and Phyllis's involvement, so strong. All these years, I, I feel so, so blessed. And I want everybody to know, this has been a passion for me. This has not just been a job. It's been a passion. This has not just been a profession. And I have never taken this responsibility lightly. I have always considered it a privilege and an honor. And I know pastors would give their right arm to pastor a church like, like Crossroads. And I've been grateful for every day that I've been allowed to be part of this church and for the trust that all of you have placed in me. And I'll be honest with you here. I'm not smart enough to have led a church this size for 23 years. I'm not. Some of you are nodding your heads. So, many of you are nodding your heads more and more. It's catching on. You could stop, but... But if you're new, you ought to know, hey, well, we have our share of uh, shortcomings here. Nobody talked about that up here. I mean, we have frailties. We make mistakes. We made big mistakes. A lot of it's been two steps forward, three steps back in the last 23 years, and mostly due to my stellar leadership. But I thank God for this place, and I do, and I'm grateful for every day. And I thank God that this is a loving church. And whenever you come in the doors here, whether it's a Saturday night or a, a Sunday morning or it was like the Ash Wednesday service this past week, there's an electricity in the air. There's an electricity in the air. And you can feel it. And you know what it says? It says people like being here. People, these people love God. They love each other. They love being here. They're not here because of of. It's a habit or pressure or guilt. They genuinely love being here and you feel it. You feel it and that's not by accident. It's because of the kind of people that you are and that you're very, very loving people. And I'll let you in on a little secret. I'll let you in on a secret here. The world is not starving for a community where people just love people that are just like them. The world is starving for a community, for a church that loves all people, even people that are different from them. When people love across any divide, rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, trans, where Republicans and Democrats worship together, when uh, women not just men, but women are up teaching and leading and where women and men are serving alongside each other. I mean, when the spirit breaks out and gets a hold of people, barriers that separated people, those begin to break down. And that's what happens. 
And that's what's happening here. And Paul wrote about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He said, dear sisters and brothers, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. And Jesus said this kind of thing in John 13, 35. He said, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for people. And the good news is this. You sense it more and more and more. That Crossroads is this kind of place more now than ever before in the past. And I'll be forever grateful for the wonderful memories I have here of these 20, 23 years. And I'm very proud to be part of the church and to be, have been part of this outstanding team of people that we have here. And I'll, 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 it'll always be with overwhelming joy that I remember my time at Crossroads and the creative and dynamic ways that we came together and worked together to create a diverse church that welcomes, loves, and includes, includes all people and does all we can to further God's kingdom here on earth. And I've always, I've always felt God's hand on crossroads in a, in a special way. And I've always believed, I've always believed God was going to do great things through this church. And that's not changed. It's not changed. I still believe that. And, and you know, if you're, in case you're wondering, I mean, this is not a total goodbye uh, of Phyllis and I plan on still being around crossroads. We're going to be committed members uh, you know, inviting and giving and, and volunteering in significant ways and maybe even speaking from time to time if there's a need be. Uh, uh, that's okay. Uh, it sounds like a mercy clap, but that's, I, I appreciate the heart. I do, but maybe that'll happen too. But I'm excited for the future of Crossroads. I'm very excited for the future of Crossroads. What's next? And I'm excited for, for what's next for Phyllis and I as we move on from here. So thank you very, very much. And I hope you're aware of how much I love all of you. Thank you. going to pray here in a second, but let's give it, let's give a round of applause for Phyllis as well. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for John and Phyllis, for their fearless leadership, their welcoming spirit, their serving hearts, their reckless love. Thank you for the vision you gave them that has produced so much fruit, so many transformed lives. Thanks for the moments we have shared in worship, in learning, in serving, in tears, in laughter, in disappointment, 
in hope, in living and loving together. We realize that this is a time of endings and new beginnings. They have finished this part of the race that you laid out for them and they have run so, so well. So we pray for this new beginning for John and Phyllis. And may this new season be overflowing with rest and peace and family and deep satisfaction. And God, guide us as we hold these cherished memories, but now move in new directions. Our future together rests entirely in your care. Thank you for these dear people. And may they enjoy the fruit of their labor. And everyone who agreed with that prayer said, amen, amen, amen.